The process of buying and selling a home is one of the most strenuous and frustrating out there. Imagine this, you find a home and make an offer, but that home already has multiple bids. So after a long bidding war, you finally get the home of your dreams. But now after a clean inspection, the appraisal falls through and you ask yourself, why is this so frustrating? Ian Wong and Open Door asked that same question. And on this episode of IT Visionaries, Ian discusses how his team built one of the biggest disruptors to the real estate market. And he gives some of the secret sauce to the science behind the Open Door technology. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, host of IT Visionaries. And today we are joined by special guest, another Ian. Ian, how's it going? I'm doing well. Am I the other Ian or are you the other Ian? Yeah, this is, it's a great question. And it's a question I ask myself all the time. Um, but in this case, uh, for sure, I am the other Ian. Uh, what we're going to get into besides our, uh, you know, talking about the, the greatest uh, name in the world and how it gets confused for LAN whenever you get a Uber or, uh, or Lyft. Uh, we're going to talk about your background in technology, uh, what you're building at Open Door, and, uh, and everything in between. So first, how did you get started in technology? Yeah. So growing up in the 90s, it's hard not to fall in love with tech. I remember seeing just computers getting better on a month-to-month basis. Remember the 386, 486 Pentiums, video games were being more immersive, and the internet just changed everything. So I went to school studying electrical engineering in college, thinking that double E was the key to the future. Uh, but a couple of years into undergrad, I realized that I didn't quite like the circuits part of double E, but I really did like the math part of double E. And so I actually stayed on to do my uh, PhD uh, doing research in statistics. And one of the things that was a pivotal moment for me was interning at Facebook as a data scientist. And that's when I realized that industry and academia have completely diverged in terms of what's interesting and impactful. So I dropped on my PhD uh, and joined Squared back in January of 2011 as their first data scientist and got my start in tech. And honestly, the thing that keeps me going is that it feels like every day in tech, you get to build a bit of the future and it's just really fun and exciting. So flash forward to today, what does it mean to be CTO of Opendoor? Yeah, so I am uh, the CTO of Opendoor and I'm one of the co-founders. And so my objective, honestly, is just to help the company be successful. Our goal is to transform the industry and make it a lot better for homeowners and home buyers. And my sole mission is to make that happen. But the way that I do that um, is through three key, call it um, different scopes of responsibilities. The first is just to lead our uh, really talented team of engineers and data scientists to build amazing products for our customers. And the second is I focus a lot on the management and build out of our pricing capabilities, which is foundational to the core products. And the third is I collaborate with my executive team to help set overall company strategy and also to build a company that we're proud of and we're fun, uh, we want to show up to work uh, every day. 
And so as CTO, are you working on internal employee processes, working on the product, uh, managing the team, all, all of the above? Yeah, it's a really broad ranging role. I feel like the title CTO could mean so many different things uh, in different companies. And to be honest, I've never been a stickler for a title. To me, it's really about how do we create the most impact for the business? So from my seat, I do a mix of absolutely working with my co-founder and CEO, Eric, working with the chief product officer, Tom, to help uh, understand how we can make a better product for homeowners and home shoppers. And also making sure that internal processes are done well for our engineers, making sure they've got a solid career growth path, making sure that with the right set of talent on team. And then there are some things that I have a more direct hand in, like I mentioned, pricing. So that's where I spend probably more of my, um, call it kind of technical uh, brain cycles, if you will, uh, really focusing on the set of algorithms that we use to make sure that we're uh, pricing homes accurately. Uh, when we buy and sell uh, at Open Door, yeah, I mean, it seems like real estate is something that has been, and really, just buying a home in general uh, hasn't really changed that much. Like, obviously, yeah. you we know more about the uh, you know the landscape now than ever, and, and leverage technology to do that. But uh, but what do you what did you kind of see as co-founding the company as as the clear obvious uh, issue here? Yeah, so the premise of the company is that buying and selling a house is probably the single most financially significant decision in people's lives, uh, but it's also one of the most stressful and painful. So if you have a two by two and you know on one axis, you look at the size of the transaction and on the other axis, you look at consumer happiness, right? You have this massive outlier where it is a huge transaction, but super fragmented industry and just a stressful and painful experience. So, and if you look at any other asset class, be that cars or clothes or electronics, there's always this ability to sell or buy pretty easily. And so it's glaringly obvious to us back in 2014 when we started the company that something is off <laughs> with real estate. Um, you know, and if I were to tell you the only way you can sell your car is if you have to do uh, test drives. So you have to allow people to do test drives any given weekend uh, for three months. There is a one in seven chance you can't sell your car. You have to pay a 6% fee on top of the whole thing. You would say that's absolutely insane. Uh, but for some reason, we're okay with that for housing. And so we said, okay, that's a little bit crazy. How do we actually make real estate and the entire ecosystem be in service of homeowners and home shoppers and not the other way around? Um, and so that's really why we started the company about six years ago at this point. Well, you didn't know this, but I recently uh, sold my place and it was oh, in no the way. process. Uh, yeah. So I just uh, sold my condo not too, uh, not too long ago or at the end of last year and was in the process of buying a place. And boy, do I know what you are talking about. <laughs> uh, because if you live in the sunny San Francisco Bay Area, uh, it's a little tough. Uh, it's a little tough. Uh, turns out that uh, you know buying and selling in this market is pretty crazy, and uh, like you said, it's it's so far out of most people's means at this point that it, the the stress levels are uh, you know potentially ruinous at every turn. Um, not to mention all the houses are or many of the houses are a hundred years old. Yeah, I mean SF Bay Area is just 
a real snowflake of a market. Um, but re- honestly, the pain is shared amongst all buyers and sellers in the country. One of the interesting things about real estate is that if you take, take aside um, SF in New York and Seattle, it's actually much harder to sell a home. And so for an average homeowner, the home is worth about $240,000. I know that it might come as a shock to folks who have been in there for a long time because you know, I think our average prices at this point is over a million dollars. But the average price of a house is 240K. Again, it's gonna take a homeowner three months to sell a home. There is a one in seven chance of a fall through and you're paying 6% fee. On top of that, you likely need to unlock the equity in your current home in order to buy your next home. And so there's just a lot of inherent stress and friction um, in, in the process today of real estate. And so for those of you who, uh, for those listeners who might not be familiar with Open Door, we went out with a solution about six years ago to help make this a lot easier, starting with the uh, selling side. And so as opposed to listing your home in the market and waiting for you know, 60 to 90 days to be able to sell your home, we can just buy the home from you. So we will literally give you um, an all-cash offer if you come to opendoor.com. And so you can actually get an offer and sell directly to us whenever you want. And that just makes the selling process like 100 times easier uh, for the homeowner. I mean, I couldn't be more excited about the possibilities for the future. And I, I, I uh, was one of the reasons why we were really excited <laughs> to have you on the show, other than the fact that you're an Ian, uh, which is even better. But um, but I think that this is this is one of the classic problems where like every company is a technology company these days. This doesn't feel like a technology problem. And yet there's so much technology under the hood. Can you talk about that? Yeah, totally. And it's one of the interesting things about working in a very physical and tangible uh, industry is that the tech is actually just woven to everything that we do. So you can almost say that we are a technology company. We can, you can also say that we're an operations company. And of course, we're a real estate company. Um, and I also think there's been waves of technology companies. Obviously, you've got the Google and Facebooks of the world of the 2000s. But I really think over the last five years, you've seen Mark Andreessen's point about software aiding the world really coming alive for some of these really large industries that so far has been almost impervious to technology changes. And I'm referring to, say, ride sharing, I'm referring to Airbnb, um, and just like different, almost different levels of the societal stack are getting disrupted now. And so, yeah, housing, real estate, I mean, tremendously important transaction. Uh, There's so much tech that goes behind making that transaction much better. Um, and so I'll give you an example. So some of the really cool tech that we'd have to do um, is if you come to opener.com, right, you're giving us information about you and your home. And so we actually have to uh, master how do we build trust with the consumer in this really uh, drawn out offline, online experience? How do we price the home really accurately? And then how do we actually build a real estate supply chain that historically has been super offline, super clumsy and make that really efficient. It's almost like building that Amazon warehouse, right? Uh, But offline distributed in every single home across the country. Those are some of the really hard technical challenges that we have to solve every day. Do you feel like, you know, with the market essentially not, not really changing um, for, I mean, 
what, a hundred years? Like, I, I don't even know, like how, what, well, I don't even know what would be the biggest like change in, in buying or selling a home. And, um, I mean, when I bought my first home 10 years ago and when I, you know, was trying to buy this recent one, not one single thing changed. I think we even used the same broker, like, you know, in a different state in whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, it was almost identical, every single thing going in and signing the paperwork, like everything. Um, you know, and I think I bought my first time I was in the army, I was 22. I had no idea what I was doing, you know? Um, but you know, in, in something like this, where the market has not changed in so long, you know, you're going into, well, I don't know how many markets you're in now. Uh, like 15, 21, 21. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was going to say, uh, you know, 15 to 20 markets. So 21 markets, you know, each market is different. Each city is different. Each street is different. Each house is different. Um, but the process as you kind of talked about is the same. It seems like there's so many like process things, the repetition, uh, the hidden fees, all that stuff that data and transparency can yeah, immediately totally. surface. Like, right. I mean, that's, what's so exciting. I mean, I feel like it's such a black box when you're buying a house. Um, and now to be able to have some level of transparency is, uh, is a, a, a match in the darkness. Yeah, definitely. I think buying and selling a home, look, the stats actually, you, you were 22 when you bought your first home, the average age of a first time home buyer is actually 32. And the time between transactions, typically somewhere between seven to 10 years. And so people don't actually get that many revs at it. <laughs> and uh, as a result, maybe because of that, um, the industry has been super, super slow to change. And one of the things I remember, uh, as a CTO, one of the things I'm always looking at is uh, how do we digitize the process, right? Like how do we take something that's clunky and strip away all the incidental complexity so that we can focus on the things that are truly necessary for both the customer and for the business. And I remember going to uh, title and escrow. I don't know if you even know what those terms really mean other than you know, paperwork that you have to sign when you buy and sell a home. But I remember going to some of these uh, places to understand how it's actually done. And in my mental model actually coming out of these places, it's like almost like 20 fax machines chained together with people kind of checking off certain boxes and then manually scanning and faxing to the next place. It's just so backwards. And um, by the way, you would think that home ownership is one of the staples of what it means to be American and, you know, title and escrow processes should be long, have been figured out and, you know, it's a smooth process. But if you look at a title officer, an escrow officer, every single person is doing things slightly differently, which kind of blows your mind. Um, so there's just a ton of room to make not just the customer experience a hundred times better, but also just make the, uh, just the logistics and the operations, really the foundation of real estate, a ton simpler and more efficient. But yeah, I agree with you. There's, um, you know, there's a ton of complexity and opacity and, uh, it's been really exciting to try and light that match in darkness, as you said. I mean, to to paint a picture and not to go you know too far into the details, but when I sat down at escrow uh, to purchase, uh, the paperwork had the wrong unit number. <laughs> I'm like, you, like you just, I mean, you're like, how is this possible? You know, like, how, I don't even know how this is. 
you know, still a thing. And, you know, meanwhile, um, the one thing that has changed the process for sure is, uh, is things like DocuSign and HelloSign and, and digital signatures is, is huge because you can just hammer away on your phone and then go into sign in person. But, um, but, you know, I, back to the technology piece to this, it's like, there's so much of the process that is just like really clunky and outdated and, and again, untransparent. Um, but also it's not just like going through the process, it's the process of buying and selling that you don't know what the market is dictating. Like there's times to sell, there's times to buy, there's seasonality, there's all sorts of things that go into it. You're at the whim of your agent who may or may not be really talented. I mean, like there's so many factors and your agent who, you know, it's like, uh, it's like, you know, we used to talk about this in the, in the, in the military where, uh, you know, the person who's doing the training, uh, spend an hour reading all the material the night before and then trains you the next day, uh, sometimes, but it's the same thing. You could have a real estate agent that, you know, walked into the job, you know, six days ago and, but they still know more than you, or you could have someone that's been doing, selling the same neighborhood for 35 years that, you know, it's like, oh, I've sold that house three, three times or, you know, whatever it is. So it, there's just so much variance. And when you're in a, in a field where you want zero variance, you want to, you want to minimize variance when you're making the biggest purchase of your life, like that's all really bad stuff. Um, and things like data science, can get to some of the the truth, the answers to those questions. Yeah, and so absolutely, I think at the end of the day, it's about making the process, uh, making the buying and selling journey for consumers really easy, right? Our, our goal at Open Door, if you take a step back, is just to provide super simple, seamless, and safe ways for people to sell home, buy a home, and trade in home. And so the APIs that we wanna to present to the customer should be very straightforward. If you wanna sell, here's an option available to you. Like here's literally a, a price that you can get uh, anytime you want with from opendoor.com. So that's the ability to sell to us directly. And I'll just highlight too, just to make sure we uh, have the menu of options that we provide out there. We have the sell direct option that we launched with a company six years ago. And actually that we launched a new product recently called the home reserve that actually I think works, worked really well for you, Ian. And that what we do is we would actually buy your next home for you all cash using Open Doors Cash. Um, and then you will live in that home and then we'll help you list your current home, which at that point will be empty and safe for people to you know, have uh, tours in. And so it's a really elegant trade-in product where you get to buy your next home all cash, which is more competitive. Uh, and you get to list your home and you get to really try and fetch top dollars for that listing. So that's what we call the Home Reserve Program. And the third set of products that we really focus on are for our buyers. So uh, we have, we've applied a lot of the same principles around simplicity and certainty and given our home shoppers the ability to tour any home in the market for open door homes, you get to do self tours uh, and for uh, homes on the market, we have a network of agents that connect our tour assistants and actually can do virtual tool tours on your behalf. So, you know, our goal is to give, the suite of products for homeowners and home shoppers so that it's way easier to uh, buy or sell a home. But yeah, there's a ton of data science and other technology that make that experience uh, possible. Uh, I'll give you one example. Um, for us to be able to say, hey Ian, here's the offer on your home. Um, and we're able to transact literally within the next week if you'd like to. 
we have to understand uh, housing in a super deep way. We have to collect a ton of data about properties across this country. And then we have to develop the right machine learning techniques and data science techniques to get the most out of that data to predict what that home is really worth. And, and there's a ton that goes into that. And one of my favorite stories, and I'll pause here after telling this uh, story because I, I love it and kind of tells you, tells you to your point about, you know, you have agents that are um, kind of fresh out of agent school, if you will, and, you know, really awesome experienced agents. One of the things that you look at when you're in data science, you're like, okay, what is the fundamental uncertainty with this prediction problem? And so we sent uh, appraisers, two appraisers to the same property. And we said, okay, like, tell us about your opinion of value for this home. And we did enough of those to realize, wow, there's massive variance uh, in terms of what a price, what a list price should be if you ask two realtors to quote the same home. So there's a ton of, just to your point, opacity and variance. Uh, and one of the great things with data science is that you actually get to leverage the data sets um, to tell you what really is the most accurate answer as to what the price of a home should be. I mean, you are preaching to the choir on the, uh, <laughs> first of all, on all of this, but, uh, um, but I'm glad you brought that up because uh, as someone who just went through many- Did, did, did they line up? <laughs> um, I can tell you that you're going to be surprised to know that they did not. Uh, that it was all over the place uh, and that, you know, had an appraiser show up, uh, ask for the check uh, to be paid, had had my realtor write it on uh, the hood of her car. It's like, I need the check in hand before I do the appraisal. Um, didn't uh, go into either of the bathrooms. You know, it's just stuff like that. Now, it did it matter at all in the end of the day? This particular oh, yeah, time, sure. it didn't. But in other cases, it sure would have. Um, and it's just, it's wild. Uh, it's a wild thing. My dad was actually an insurance inspector for many years. So I have the other side of this in, in my family uh, to know like what it means to be an appraiser or to be uh, or an inspector or something like that. Like it's a hard job. It's not saying that it's an easy job, but that is not what you want your entire financial future on is to say like one person's opinion who, you know, just had a bad day, right? Like that's truly what can happen. Yeah. And the range of outcomes could be pretty significant for people. So, I mean, I think one of the nice things about using data is you really try and triangulate from a lot of data points on what we think, you know, what the data is saying is, you know, here's the most probable uh, sale price for the home. And that just gives, gives me and gives the company and our customers so much more confidence that, hey, this is a more rigorous way of arriving at the price. So one of the things that specifically here in our in our sunny Bay area, uh, happens all the time is, you know, you have competition, you have multiple bids, you have multiple officer offers. And that is what truly drives like these monster home prices is like, you know, you walk in and it's like, you know, multiple people are like, this is where I want to be. Right. Houses have that effect. Um, how do you look at things like that? Because that does differ based off of street or location or, you know, a new kitchen or all those things. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's something that we spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, I think first off, it's really important to gather as big of a data set as we can about housing. And one of the really hard things about pricing, building this pricing capability with an open door is that we're dealing with a super heterogeneous asset class. Um, you know, homes can differ greatly block to block, 
right? Literally within a block, like home by home sometimes. Um, so it's really important for us to gather all the right data about a house. And so we actually spend a lot of time not only uh, ingesting a ton of data that's uh, off of uh, public records or off of certain data feeds, but we spend a great deal of energy going full stack, so to speak, and actually going out to the home and collecting that data uh, ourselves. And so we spend a lot of energy uh, collecting that data, and that gets down to building the right tool. So some of the, one of the most interesting things about building vertical companies like Open Door from a technology standpoint is that you really have to get down to the lowest detail, right? So you know, I literally just came out of a, a conversation with one of our engineering managers about how we're building this new tool that allows our inspectors to uh, really easily configure the types of inspections that are appropriate for a region because sometimes certain homes need a certain checklist of things to inspect versus other areas. So it's, we have to get down to that level of detail around actually building our own inspection apps uh, to capture the right data for a given house. And then on top of that, homes also are heterogeneous over time. Like the same home that sold today or yesterday uh, might have a different close price to your point of seasonality you know, two years ago and two years from now. And so we also have to do a ton of uh, just time series analysis to, to what I call time travel, like help understand what this home was worth back then and what this home might be worth a few months from now, which is when we would resell it. Um, but a lot of that requires first, not being afraid to collect, to collect really good high fidelity data and then coming with the algorithms uh, that know how to interpret that data. You know, some of the hardest things that we have to solve are how do you turn that feeling that you get when you get into a home of your dreams, right? Like the sunlight's shining a certain way, the layout feels great, the quality of the countertop feels amazing, right? Like how do you turn some of these sensory signals into more quantitative factors that could then be used by algorithms? So we actually spend a lot of efforts with computer vision, actually with a lot of crowdsourcing techniques, uh, oftentimes we have human in the loop style machine learning algorithms that give us the supplementary data to make our algorithms uh, really accurate. But it's a fascinating topic and I can talk about this for, for a very long time. Well, yeah, let's keep unpacking that because this is absolutely fascinating to me. I mean, like I would imagine that, um, you know, if you take a picture of, you know, black mold, it's like, hey, this is a no-go property or whatever, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, that there's maybe certain things on the list that are like, hey, this is a, you know, no-fly zone for us or something like that. Um, but there's also things that like presumably absolutely change the uh, uh, change the impact of, you know, a house, for example – the new kitchen, right? It's like, you can buy the home. I just did this. So I know you can buy the Home Depot kitchen um, for X amount of dollars. And a lot of times it isn't the difference between, you know, it, or it's a huge difference because it could be the difference between multiple office offers, which would drive the price, or it could be the difference between zero offers and one yeah. offer, <laughs> offer, which is the ultimate uh, binary thing. And so things like that, that you know, a lot of realtors, the best realtors just kind of know anecdotally, hey, I know I can keep my costs. I can do this kitchen. I can do this backsplash. I can get my lamps at Lamps Plus. I can do all these things. 
but to actually, but nobody is aggregating this to my knowledge, you know, like there's nobody that is, is saying the report of like, Hey, you know, if you do the uh, all white kitchen with, uh, you know, with the subway tile and lamps plus lighting and silver fixtures, like that is a 17% increase in, you know, offer price. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it's really uh, a tough problem and no one's really collected this data at scale until I think maybe us, uh, we've done literally hundreds of thousands of inspections at this point. Um, and so we have a really rich data sets of literally like God knows how many millions of photos we have at this point of, of, uh, houses, but yeah, you're right. So when we look at a home, yes, there, there are going to be to your point, the no fly zone things. So we, that there are foundation, like really just structural foundation issues. Sometimes we have to have a pretty tough conversation around, hey, like what would it take to actually fix this and let the homeowner know that. Um, but then there are other things are much more subjective. Like what renovation should we do? Like the countertop that you were talking about or the kitchen, I mean, the appliances, the flooring, um, the paint on the wall, the carpet that you use, um, the certain layout. Like layout is actually one of the hardest things to quantify. Because unlike, say, appliances, you can't say something as simple as like, a stainless steel, is it black and white? You know, which H, with HVAC, at least you can say, well, this is like a three-year-old system, a 10-year-old system, Should it, you know, is it end of life? Does it need to be repaired? With layout, it's actually much more subjective. Does it feel open? Is it too open? Does it, does it feel claustrophobic, right? Like, those yeah. are the things where um, you really have to lean on having a lot of data. Uh, you have to lean on, you know, being able to, parameterize a layout or at the very least uh, get multiple opinions from people from a uh, crowdsourcing fashion so that you can at least put a number to it that you can then use in your algorithms. And by the way, sometimes what's been interesting is we've actually just fed raw computer images to the, um, to the algorithm uh, with you know, some of the newest and greatest algorithms. And it kind of picks up like curb appeal, which has been really fun to see like, oh, this home is like, why is this home more expensive than, you know, than other algorithms suggesting you look at the front of the homes. Like, oh yeah, it's, it's a pretty home. Well, you know, it's funny, like when you've been doing this, um, you know, for about a year as a, as a buyer, uh, like I was doing, I mean, you, you know, as soon as it comes on, you know, your platform of choice, you're like, oh, that's going to be a hot home. Like for sure. Yep. It's like, oh, you have, you know, whatever, white picket fence, bay window, you know, whatever it is, you, you, you know, as soon as you see those, you're like, that's going to fly off the proverbial shelves. Um, because it just, you know, it has, you know, good curb appeal or whatever it is. Um, and so I would, I would imagine that like the top of the top of the hot homes are probably, or potentially like easier to pattern match and maybe the bottom of the bottom, but it's like, there seems like there's a million shades of gray in between those two things that have so many intricacies. Yeah. And that's where going back to what we said about using computer, uh, data science versus leading on human kind of judgment. If you, for some of these uh, homes that have a special feature, that's where appraisers can really struggle and actually normal kind of human judgment could be, it's, it's really tough to assess. Yeah. I mean, unconscious bias and stuff like that. I mean, like I would, there's just so much, you know, there's so much unconscious bias that happens with that sort of thing. I, I couldn't even, couldn't even imagine. You know, a lot of what we were doing at Open Door, you know, if you think about 
trying to validate this really a custom asset class like a housing, in many ways, you know, Open Door is, is an extension of trends in finance and technology over the last call it 50 to 80 years. If you think about actually credits, right? If you think about um, a loan, what people were trying to do in the 20s and 30s when loans were first introduced was how do I actually model a person's ability to pay back a loan? And a human being is even, you know, it's the most custom of them all, right? And actually, the introdu introduction of FICO scores was a way to actually make the process more rigorous. Because back then, depending on, you know, the loan advisor's day, you could get a different loan. And there was a very, just a ton of subconscious uh, biases that were happening, um, you know, with, with lending. And one of the nice things as you bring more data uh, to the fold is you get to make more objective decisions. And that's one of the things that uh, I hope we've been able to do at Open Door is, hey, here's a fair market value offer for your home. And, you know, we stand by the fact that we believe it's the most rigorous, most accurate way of finding out what your home is worth. So... Can you talk about like, are you building all this stuff in house? Like, is this all your team's building this? Do you use a, a uh, you know, other like vendors and things like that? Are you using like white label stuff? Like, how are you making sense of of all this data? Yeah, so the buy first build uh, question is always a really key one for CTOs and and you know, someone who's trying to make sure that we're making the most out of our resources. But the philosophy has always been buy commodity and build a proprietary. So there are going to be data sets that we can buy that we shouldn't collect on our own. And so we do that. Like for instance, recorded data and assessor data, that's a whole industry where people are literally going to county offices, getting uh, digital copies or sometimes physical copies of that, setting it over to a place where people are literally transcribing it into a form and then setting out setting us kind of the clean data. That stuff, let's just buy off the shelf because that's not something that we want to build from scratch. But on the other hand, the algorithms and the additional layer of data insights, like the inspection app, like our ability to operate our supply chain super well, that's kind of core to what we have to do, right? So those are the things where along with the customer experience, you know, how do we actually maintain trust with a customer over the period of weeks? Like that's actually really tough product engineering challenges that we've had to overcome. And so for those things, yeah, they're proprietary and we spend a ton of energy making sure they're done right. And then what about the data capture? You, you kind of touched on it a little bit that there's a bunch of different sources, but like, are you just putting in massive amounts of unstructured data? Like how are you capturing this? And is, is it just like, you know, a, a gal walking in there and snapping a thousand photos? Like what, what are you doing? Yeah, so it's a mix of structured and unstructured, but for the most part structured. So that's why we have to spend a lot of energy actually connecting all the different points in our operations. Um, because when we have to price a home, like I mentioned, we really have to understand holistically uh, that home, that neighborhood, all the transactions that have happened around it, how the market is trending from a macroeconomic level. And so we are, um, you know, trying to capture as much structured data as possible. For instance, what's the quality of the countertop? And, you know, it's the stainless steel versus black and white uh, appliances. You know, there are some more unstructured things that we look at like photos, but again, we try to turn them into more structured data so that the algorithms can use it. But that's where a lot of the magic happens is, you know, how do you um, take a look at say homes that you're not able to make an accurate prediction on, 
And, and then you ask yourself, like, why? Why, why do we miss, his, uh, from a backtesting perspective, how do we miss this prediction? And then you realize, oh, wow, like there was this golf course, you know, that neighbors this home. And then you have to go out and, you know, figure out all the golf courses in Phoenix. Or maybe, wow, this home was on a really slanted slope and that really, you know, took away value from that home. So then we have to either uh, do a lot of geodata processing to understand topography of the different cities, or when we go out and inspect the home, make sure that our inspector through our apps are instructed to tell us about, you know, the slope of the driveway or something like that. So it is a mix of structured and unstructured data, but we spend a lot of time thinking through how do we get as much structured data uh, as possible for the algorithms. You got a creek bed behind it. There's power lines. Like it, it, well, the, and the other thing with all of this that's so crazy is that it's the biggest financial decision of your life. Buying homes is just really hard in general. And then you also have the financial component, which is like going through getting a loan is really the hardest part for a lot of people, right? Just the actual lending process is horrific. Um, and lots of paperwork and lots of things you don't understand and you're signing the life away and look at how many people still foreclose anyways. So it's like this convergence of, I mean, I've kind of, you know, discussed at length here, like how difficult it is, but it really is so many environmental decisions. And then you do all of that and you buy the house and you don't realize that the way that it gets afternoon sun means that your snow never melts. It's like, oh, great. We have afternoon shade. Our snow literally never melts. And we have an icy sidewalk, which we have to scrape because right. of the city, because it's our property. And if somebody falls, we're liable. Like it, There's just so much complexity that, and so many different data points that there's almost no way that a, that a human could get it right. Like, or at least it feels that way. Yeah, totally. I think that, you know, you touch upon two things that are interesting there. One is financing and the other one's like really understanding a home from a shopper's perspective. So financing, absolutely, it's super scary to, you know, give all those documents to a loan officer and, you know, make sure that you've got everything covered and, you, you know, you're, you can get the best um, loan or product you can. And, you know, they are working with your title and escrow officer and your agent, and there's a bunch of paperwork being passed back and forth, and you don't really know how all that works. So, you know, one of the things about Open Door philosophically is like we want to be full stack. And so in order for you as a shopper to have a really seamless experience, we actually get, went and built a, a mortgage company. It's called Open Door Home Loans. And so the idea is that actually by being full stack, um, and by the way, we acquired a title and escrow company as well. So the idea is like, if you want to buy a home, you know, our goal is it should just be a few clicks, right? It should be very similar to Amazon with a checkout flow. Okay, maybe it's not like five minutes and maybe it's, you know, you're not buying a thing for $10, but it's more like, you know, 250 k But um, the, the flow itself shouldn't be that different, right? Like the complexity shouldn't be in how you navigate this checkout flow, but it should be about, hey, is this the right choice for you and your family at this point in your lives? So that's kind of the first reaction when you said about, you know, when you said about financing. And the other thing that came to mind when you're talking about the story about, uh, you know, the afternoon shade and the icy sidewalk, one of the things that I think is really stressful, especially buying in the Bay Area or just generally is, wow, you feel like you only have so many minutes at home before you have to like make this massive financial decision. Um, and it just feels really out of whack in relation to the time spent understanding if this is the right thing to buy 
and amount, the consequence it has for you financially and you know, for your lifestyle. And so one of the things that we have at Open Door is this notion of a self-tour. Because uh, we own the homes uh, in our different markets, we actually made an app for, for shoppers. And if they want to visit our home, it's self-tour. So you come up to it, we do ID, identity verification. We know through geofencing that you're close to the home. And we know that there's no one else in the home because we have sensors and whatnot in the home. And we can actually unlock the door for you. And you can choose to spend five, 10, 30 minutes in a home, really understanding it uh, if it's the right place for you. You can come back multiple times a day. And we have had shoppers say this is one of the most important features of buying with an open door home because you get to come back to and really understand if it's right for you. Um, and for homes that are not on our, uh, that we don't own. We have a network of uh, touring assistants that can help capture more information for you over multiple times a week. So you can really get a picture of in the afternoon to your point, um, the snow doesn't melt. It's such a backwards process. And as we've articulated here, like this is a huge, huge problem. And like if, you know, as, as a you know, son of somebody whose family went bankrupt, yeah. like I can tell you it ain't fun. <laughs> um, you know, and it's, uh, it's something that like, I think, uh, is super important and it's, uh, you know, and you know, people, you can kind of believe home buying is never for you or it's not part of the American dream or whatever it is. But for a lot of people, they want to own a little piece of dirt in uh, the good old US of A. And, uh, and that's super important. And I think it, it's just cool to hear the work that, that you all are doing. Yeah. I mean, two thirds of Americans uh, still live in a home that they or their family owns. So it's still the majority of, you know, you know, majority of Americans uh, home ownership is the primary form of residence. Um, and yeah, like technology has really so far not made a huge indent. You know, something earlier you said was, has it changed? you know, in the last 80, 100 years, you know, not, not really. And one of our hopes is that we can use technology to make it so much easier for people to sell and buy and trade in um, their next home. Well, it really reminds me of like, you know, kind of the turning data into doing thing, like turning, you know, information into insights. I feel like now we have a lot of information, but we don't have a lot of insights, right? Like, okay, I can tell, I can go look at the average sale price in about 35 seconds for like the neighborhood that I live in. Um, but like, A, that's a trailing metric. B, it's not something that is predictive on a house by house basis. Like it's really not. And so, and like you have, you know, estimates and things like that. Um you know, and it depends on where you live, but that can, you know, it, it can, it can just widely, you know, fluctuate. And so, um, it's just not something that I think most people, again, like you do it because you do it and you get through it, but that doesn't mean that it ever feels comfortable. Uh, and I would, I, I don't know if you have any, you know, data on that of just like the, you know, scale of one to 10, you know, people buying homes, not using open door, like how was your process? Uh, what would you rate it? I mean, I cannot imagine that there's anyone that is like over a five, unless you've done it a couple of times. I mean, we, we survey customers all the time on exactly what you're talking about. And it's commonly cited as one of the most stressful things, top five most stressful moments in people's lives. And it's like behind like death of their parents. It's like crazy. You know, it's, we're, we're buying, we're talking about a transaction here. 
Um, and I think one of the one of the things that brings a lot of joy, to, honestly, to what we do at Open Door is, hey, we get to um, really, in some ways, redefine people's relationship with the largest asset that they have in their lives. Right? Like, what if you can view your home not as a liability, but as an asset? And if you can actually change that perspective. How might that help people reimagine what's possible in the future? Right? It's not like, oh my God, I have to sell this thing in order for me to move to this other place. No, no, no. Like, we can take care of that for you. Right? Like, just focus on what's right for you in this moment and focus on what's right for you and your family for the next five or 10 years. And we'll help you get there. And that's been really cool. Um, you know, and honestly, I think it's really just extrapolating the trends of finance and technology, which is finance in many ways is about giving people more uh, economic empowerment, giving people more geographic mobility. And technology is about data science, being able to build these capabilities to price well, to do logistics super efficiently, to build a great customer experience, and do that, to do that at scale. And we combine both these ideas and trends in finance and with technology, you arrive at a company like Open Door that, you know, hopefully, to your point, you know, it's been, it's, it has been a very stressful thing for people to do. Hopefully, we can make that a lot less stressful and, in fact, hopefully seamless. Uh, and over time, you know, like not a big concern for people. Has there been one thing that was especially difficult or, or a roadblock that you ran into? There are so many. <laughs> um, you know, the company is, is six years old at this point. And I've been here for every second of it. I mean, I think every year there is a distinct challenge. Um, you know, the journey to build something from literally just three of us around a table uh, in Portrero Hill uh, all the way to, I guess, now everyone's remote. But um, it, it, there's been so many challenges. I mean, in the early days, I remember in year one, like honestly, the first few months, it was like, hey, is this something that people want? Right? Is this just a, you know, a, a conjecture that we have that you know isn't really going to stick? And uh, that was year one. It's like, hey, how do we make sure that we have product market fit and this is really something that people truly, truly wanted? And then the next year was okay. Is this like a one-trick pony? Is there something special about Phoenix that makes that set of customers receptive to open door? Like, how do we de-risk that proposition that maybe this is a one-trick pony? And then the third and fourth and fifth and sixth year has been around how do we scale to more markets? How do we make sure that you know, we have really strong you know, economics? How do we make sure that we're not just serving homeowners, like sellers, but also serving buyers? How do we actually increase the number of ways we can um, serve sellers beyond just selling to us directly? How do we help them list a home and you know, this home reserve program that I just talked about? So there's been a ton of challenges because you know, when you're in a startup from day one, like there are all these moments where it feels like it's an existential crisis where, wow, like the people want open door. And, you know, honestly, it's a collection of really tough moments, but at the same time, you know, you have a great team and, you know, you just bond together by figuring out how do we constantly just not be afraid of some of these really hard questions and, uh, you know, innovate, build, you know, talk to customers their way out of these hard problems and, you know, deliver solutions for them. Okay, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. We've been talking about the home buying experience needs to change. Well, everybody is worried about experience, and that's why you go to the Salesforce Customer 360 platform. Um, check them out. Go to salesforce.com platform to learn more. 
lightning round questions. Ian, are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Number one, what app on your phone is the most fun? I'm a Twitter addict, but uh, in these remote work days, I have this app called Future Fit, which just connects you with a personal trainer. And they give you like these exercises you do every day. And it's kind of keeping me sane when I'm stuck at home for so long. Who is your favorite famous Ian? Oh man, he's a controversial one, Ian Fisher. He's a statistician, uh, very famous one of that, uh, did a lot of work around experimentation and um, was considered one of the fathers of statistics. That was a very geeky answer. You got me. (laughs) And I consider myself an Ian connoisseur. Yeah, there you go. Tough to be the most famous Ian because Ian McClellan is a national treasure. Yeah. Uh, Global treasure, really, I should say. Have you picked up any new habit while you're sheltering in place? Well, there's cooking, uh, but I will say actually sheltering in place and remote work has had some really positive benefits when it comes to forcing you to have good documentation practices or communication practices with your team. So it's actually forced a lot of us at Open Door to be much better at writing things down. So I actually find myself spending a lot more time putting energy and thought into writing good documents. What do you do for fun? Recently, it's been because you can't... I, Used to, used to play basketball and you know go out for runs. It's a little harder now, but um, I've been doing a lot more hikes in the Bay Area. There's just so many beautiful trails around here. So I did one last weekend in the East Bay. There's just some gorgeous redwood trails there. I did Garen Park last weekend. So yeah, the Redwood Regional Park. Oh yeah, that was super nice. I grew up doing uh, cross country in uh, Redwood Regional, so I, it was a horrible cross. I would walk a lot, but uh, you know, <laughs> hanging out, hanging out in the outdoors. Um, I grew up like down the street from there, so I'm oh, sure wow. this is yeah. not li- interesting at all to our thousands of listeners who are spread over the world. But if you ever get a chance to check out uh, the wonderful Oakland Hills, uh, it's a great place. Okay. What is your best advice for a first-time CTO? Oh, that's a tough one. I was a first-time CTO when I started the company. And, um, you know, it's, it's a trying process. But I will say it's a mix of strategy, execution, and people. Um, obviously, it starts with the people. You have to make sure that you're there and present for your team. And you, know, you have to be super empathetic and make sure you're supportive of your of your staff who are ultimately the ones really doing the frontline work. Then it's about developing your chops around um, making sure, you know, everything is just operating nicely in terms of execution. But I would say the part that I didn't fully appreciate it when I first became, you know, founded companies, aside from all the code and the career development of your staff is how do you make sure you're working with your executive team? to really understand the strategy of the business and then translate that to the roadmap for tech. And I, I would say um, really focus on people, execution, strategy, kind of in different buckets and making sure that day after day and week after week, you know, you're making progress on each of these three categories. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Oh my goodness. What is most underrated in data science? Because I, you know, one of the things that I, I look, I was a data scientist. Uh, I don't do as much data science anymore. Um, obviously, I work with all data scientists, but I would say that there was this fascination with uh, the word science, and there's a lot of fascination with terms like artificial intelligence, machine learning, and I actually think a lot of that stuff is commoditized. Uh, it's actually 
not that difficult in the grand scheme of things. If you think about machine learning from an API perspective, you're talking about literally dot fits and dot train, or rather dot fit and dot predicts. It's just two APIs. And people spend a ton of time obsessed over the methods behind them. But I think what's more, much more exciting is thinking about like, how do we apply this data-driven approach to different business settings? Like, I actually think operations research is vastly underrated. Like, you know, Lyft and Uber, these ride-sharing companies, um, are completely built upon operations research. And it's actually taking these algorithms, actually applying it in business that's interesting. So I, I would say that, um, you know, for folks that have an interest in data science, you know, I, I think it's important to not get caught up with the terms of data science. It's really just about how do we make sure that you're making the right data-driven decisions backed by algorithms for your business. And those algorithms could be complex, could be simple, and there are many types, but that don't get too hung up on exactly how those algorithms work. Fascinating stuff. That we'll bring you back on the show and we'll just talk uh, data science the whole time because I'm sure uh, I'm sure our listeners uh, would dig. We have a really, I think it's been like a hundred episodes since we did a data wow. science one. So yeah, we'll have to bring you back. Right on. Well, Ian, you have a great name and you've been a great guest. Thanks so much for for joining today. Uh, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Uh, no, uh, it's been it's been really fun chatting. I hope that your listener took away a few things. And uh, if folks want to check us out, we're at opendoor.com. Yeah, when you start selling in the East Bay, I'm telling you, beta tester number one, let me know. I'll hold you to that. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks again. Thank you. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform.